0: Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Thursday, September 24th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. And like every Thursday, today's show presented by Violent Gentlemen. Make sure you go to ViolentGentlemen.com right now to order some of the hottest t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene from the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field. Violent Gentleman honors the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport. ViolentGentleman.com. That is the clothing line of none other than George Paros, and we have a partnership with them. We uh, give you a Violent Gentleman segment every Thursday. And uh, today's guest will be Neil Keefe. He is the host of Keefe to the City. Uh, The very popular podcast. Follow all his podcasts and columns on his website, keeftothecity.com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Neil Keefe. He covers New York sports. Specifically, uh, he's a Giants-Yankees guy. Uh, not necessarily a Mets-Jets, but that doesn't mean we didn't get in to some of the Mets and Jets stuff. As he joined me over the phone this morning, I'll play that conversation for you in just a few minutes. Uh, we, we Look, we talked about the Yankees-Blue Jays series and the playoff implications that were in Toronto this week. That series is now over with Toronto winning that game last night 4 nothing. The Blue Jays take 2-3 of three from the Yankees in that three-game set. Uh ten ten, eleven games left for each of those teams as we get ready for the major league baseball postseason. Though last night you watched this game on ESPN, felt like a playoff game. Look, the Red Sox played last night. They're not in the playoffs, but I still watch the Red Sox. It's just last night, it's just it was like two completely different sports with the atmosphere in Toronto for that Yankees, Blue Jays game. And the atmosphere at Fenway for the Red Sox and the Rays. I I didn't watch the Red Sox-Rays. In fact, I I turned to the Red Sox and the Rays game right after the Blue Jays-Yankees game was over. And it was just somewhat depressing. Right? It was. To me, it was depressing. And I even tweeted last night during the Yankees-Blue Jays game. I said, the baseball fan in me wants to see, or at least wouldn't mind seeing, a Yankees-Blue Jays playoff series, right? The, the baseball fan in me wouldn't mind seeing that, but the Red Sox fan in me would be sick to my stomach having to watch that. So I'll, I'll have mixed emotions if that happens. But if you put aside, uh, if you, you know, take your bloody socks off for a minute here in Boston, if you're a baseball fan, if you can appreciate postseason baseball, I hope you watched the last couple nights, Blue Jays-Yankees. They put the games on ESPN. And because it had a postseason baseball feel to it. And I love postseason baseball, regardless of who's playing. I'd obviously prefer the Red Sox to be playing. But since that's not the case, that doesn't mean I'm not going to watch postseason baseball. And even though it's not postseason yet, we're a couple weeks away. Uh, uh, The game last night and this series, Blue Jays, Yankees with the division on the line in Toronto. They're all fired up, up north, up in Canada it almost had a soccer match atmosphere to it. It was just, it was wild. I, I loved it. The baseball fan in me absolutely loved it. I watched that last night and I talked with Neil Keefe about what's going on in that series, what happened in that series, what happened with the Yankees in that series, what's going to happen with the Yankees moving forward. And of course, I talked to Neil about the New York Giants Washington Redskins Thursday night football game, which is tonight as we kick off week three. Yesterday, On this podcast, like I do every Wednesday, I gave you my official Week 3 preview. I go over every game, every situation, a lot of the injuries that are going around uh, leading into Wednesday's practices for these teams. As NFL teams turn the page on Wednesdays, so do I. Every Wednesday, I'll give you a complete NFL preview. I don't just spend time on the Patriots on this podcast. I, I, I go all in on everything that is the National Football League. And like I did yesterday, and like I'll do every Wednesday, I'll preview the upcoming week. And the upcoming week here is week three, and it begins every week on Thursday night with Thursday night football. I said it yesterday, and I'll say it again. If it wasn't for the fact that this is Thursday night football and this is the only game on TV, I most likely would not be interested in the Giants Redskins game. I wouldn't. Giants are 0 2, Redskins are 1 1. The Giants are coming off two losses, one uh, in week one to the Dallas Cowboys. You know how that game ended, and yes, I did talk with Neil about how that game ended, and I gave Neil my theory on what was actually going on in Eli Manning's head as the Giants were about to punch it in to take a 10-point lead at the end of that fourth quarter, right? I, 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 I gave Neil my theory. I'll, I'll let you listen to that conversation. I mean, if you listen to this podcast every day, you already know my theory, but... If you don't know it, I'm going to have to make you stick around and listen to that conversation. And, of course, then the Giants, they lose to the Falcons last week. They're 0-2. I sat here and told you on yesterday's preview for week three. At the Giants, I don't look at them being down and out just yet. I'm not going to throw my towel in on the Giants' season if I'm a Giant fan. Okay? But if I look, even when I look at it from afar, I don't think 0-2 Giants are done. You know, the main reason for that being the Tony Romo injury – Things have opened up. Also, I don't buy into the Redskins at one and one. I don't care how good the rookie running back out of Florida, Matt Jones, looked last week for Washington. Ran for 123 yards and two TDs, and they win over the Rams last week, right? I, I, I'm not going to buy in to Kirk Cousins. While I do think Kirk Cousins is a better quarterback than RG3, it's still not good enough for me to sit there and look at the Redskins at one-on-one and think, okay, now with Dallas out, the Redskins are going to be the team that sort of runs away with that division. I don't see anyone running away with that division. And for that reason, I also don't look at the Cowboys with the Romo injury and think, okay, now they're out of it. You know, Brandon Whedon, I'd like to see him get some extended playing time. I, I don't think that's going to be the worst-case scenario for a backup quarterback. This kid was taken in the first round just a couple years ago. He threw a couple nice passes Uh, last week against the Eagles, and you mentioned the Eagles, how can you mention the NFC East without just crushing the Eagles, and I'm not just jumping on the bandwagon crushing Philly, I've been crushing them before the season began, I don't need to go all into that again, I just never believed in what Chip Kelly was doing, given the personnel that he got rid of, and the personnel that he's going with, given the personnel he has on his team, a la Sam Bradford, I don't buy into Sam Bradford. This is a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league. Sam Bradford hasn't done shit for me if I'm an Eagles fan. Therefore, I'm not too excited about Sam Bradford. I'm not an Eagles fan, but even looking at that situation from afar, I would be very frustrated with what's going on in Philly, and I don't look at their game against the Jets this weekend being a game that, you know, Philly's definitely going to win. In fact, If I had to make a pick on who wins that game right now, my pick is going to be the Jets winning that game, and it's really because of their defense, a defense that nobody is really talking about that, let's face it, we probably should be talking about, right? I told you yesterday, the Patriots fan in me wants to just say, fuck the Jets, but the NFL fan in me has to acknowledge what that Jets defense did this offseason and what they did last week against an Indianapolis Colts team that I don't think is down and out. But I already gave you my preview for week three. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into this game. Giants, Redskins tonight. Again, if it wasn't Thursday Night Football, I wouldn't be watching this game. But it is Thursday Night Football. I will be watching. The Giants are a three-and-a-half-point favorite as of now. I think it will stick to that by, t- by the time we get kickoff tonight. I'll close out the show with my pick for this game, and I'll let you know if I even have a pick. I, I told you. Thursday's game is not part of Pick's Picks. It never has been, it never will be, and if you're new to this show, then what I do every Friday is I give you picks picks. That's five games in the NFL on either Sunday or Monday, and I give it to you five games with the spread. I'm six and four on the season. I went four and one in week one, I went two and three in week number two. Uh, week three, my picks, I'll give on tomorrow's podcast on Friday's podcast but um you know the Thursday night game is never part of that I will give you a pick for Thursday night game if if I honestly believe you should put some action on it if the, like if the Thursday night game is a game that I don't like I tell you to stay away from like I told you to stay away from Broncos Chiefs last week you know I while I did give you advice that I, I am not writing Peyton Manning's obituary. I did not do it after week one. I told you that Peyton Manning still has something left in the tank, and I think to throw in the towel on his career after one fucking game is that's just foolish, right? It's just foolish. Uh, Broncos are 2-0. They beat Kansas City in Kansas City, which is one of the toughest places to play in the National Football League. Uh, but I did tell you, given the spread and it being in Kansas City, I wasn't so I wasn't so sure about it. Like I wasn't a lock for me. It's one game. I told you to stay away. I stayed away. My advice. I'm gonna be honest with my advice. I'm not just gonna pick a game to pick it. What type of advice is that? That's terrible advice. Uh, that's called that's called an addiction. And I'm not knocking an addiction if you have one. Um, but that's what that's called. So uh, if I if I don't like the game, I'm not gonna. Put in the action, you know, there's going to be no action. Giants-Redskins tonight, Giants three-and-a-half point favorite. How do I feel about it with regards to that spread? I'll tell you right before I close out the show after my conversation with Neil Keefe, but uh, before I give you that conversation with Neil Keefe, a couple things that I need to, to talk about and mention here, and first and foremost, with this Giants team is, I mean, they're still missing Victor Cruz, but you can make the argument that maybe their biggest loss right now, because they still have Odell Beckham Jr., I need a big game last week. Uh, Eli Manning, you know, I I don't I don't look at Eli Manning and think that he's someone. Well, you know, my theory, I'm sticking with it. I'm, I'm, I told Neil Keefe what my theory was. You got to stick around and hear what that was. Um, I think it was just, it's an awful it's an awful mindset if that is true for a quarterback to have. But Eli, let's face it, the guy's got two rings. But the guy's you know, he, he's made big plays in big games, and just because he got a big old contract that's going to give him 65 mil guaranteed, tied for the most guaranteed money out of any player in the National Football League with Phillip Rivers, I don't look at Eli Manning and think that he's a, a some type of schmuck just because his Giants are owned too. 2 I think Eli certainly can lead this Giants team past the Redskins tonight, especially if this was, you know, since this game tonight is going to be in New York— I am just... I The Redskins, they're a little banged up, too. They will not have Deshaun Jackson again. I think he's going to miss a couple weeks here, right? And as good as Matt Jones looked last week, I just... I I, I don't look at the Redskins and think that they're unbeatable. Because just it's they're not. Because they're not. They're not unbeatable. They can be beat. And the Giants, on their own field tonight, they're going to beat them. Giants are going to win this game tonight. The spread, there is a spread. So take the spread out of it. Just, I'm telling you, football, what's going to happen on the field tonight, I'm going to tell you that the Giants are going to win this game. They're going to be one and two. And uh, I I don't think they're down and out of it. I really don't. When you look at their division, especially with Romo going down, I mean, if Romo didn't go down, I would tell you Giants at 0-2, they have no shot. But, you know, Romo's injury opens some things up a little bit. I still think Cowboys will be good enough to sort of stick around in that race to the point where when you get Romo back, ultimately the Cowboys are going to win the division. But it's not going to look like I had predicted it to look like before Romo went down at the beginning of the season, before the season began when my NFL predictions were that the Cowboys were going to be the two seed in the NFC and, you know, they were going to go into the Super Bowl. You know, I think that the fact they—I don't think they're gonna get a first round by now. So I think that's the mindset that changes with me when I look at the Cowboys with Romo. Like they're not gonna win as many games without Romo. They won't. It's—I mean, that's just that—that's my opinion, but it's—it's it's borderline fact, right? How many people would sit there and say Romo goes down a, a, as high as you may be on Brandon Weeden? You're also without Des Bryant. Looks like you know who knows how, if you're gonna be without uh, Witten, Jason Witten, and if he is out, how long is he gonna be out for? You know, you already had some some injuries on defense. It's just there's a lot going on there with Dallas. I still think they have enough pieces, and they'll put Brandon Whedon in a position in which they say, okay, don't make mistakes. And if they do that with that offensive line, Dallas can still, in this division, stay above water and at least be good enough and stick around in that divisional race until Romo gets back, until Bryant gets back. And then they start clicking again, and the Cowboys ultimately win the division. But they, they won't get a first round pie, as I predicted. But with the Romo injury, it, it gives some teams in this division, you know, an extra life. It does. And I think it gives the Giants an extra life. So 0 2, I think that they have a shot. And I think they'll win tonight at home against the Redskins. If they lose, if I'm wrong, and the Giants lose this game tonight, you know, then we're looking at this thing being over. Then it's over, right? You know, then this thing is over. There's no way an 0-3 Giants team I'd be sitting here uh, being able to put my money on the Giants, you know, overcoming that. That's just not going to happen. So when I look at the Giants, uh, you look at their schedule, if they win this tonight, you know, they go, look, they go to Buffalo. That's going to be a tough game. But then at home against San Fran, at Philly, I, I do think the Giants can be Philly, because like I told you, I'm not high on Philly. And by the way, there is some news with, with the Eagles, is DeMarco Murray is questionable. He's questionable Sunday against the Jets with a hamstring injury. He will not practice today on Thursday. Uh, so the DeMarco Murray story is something to keep an eye out for. I mean, it doesn't even matter who's back there, though. I mean, if the, if the Eagles are going to block like they blocked last week against the Cowboys, you could put fucking Emmett Smith back there in his prime, and he's not going to do anything, right? Uh, you could put Bo Jackson back there. He's not going to do anything. I mean, you could put Deion Sanders. It, you name him. Rattle him off. You could put him back there. Nobody's going to do anything if you're getting tackled as the ball is getting handed off to you. I mean, I, you might, they might have been able to call a couple penalties on, on the Cowboys last week for tackling DeMarco Murray right before the ball was actually in his breadbasket, for crying out loud. So that's how bad the Eagles' offensive line looks. Um, but this NFC East, to me, it's open still. I mean, I think the Cowboys are still going to win it, but the Romo injury opened some things up for some other teams like the Giants. But you, if you're the Giants, you got to take care of the games, especially at home, that you should win. And they should win tonight at home against the Redskins. If I have a pick with the spread, I'm going to let you know about it before I close out the show and I also got Neil Keefe's take on this game tonight and on the Giants in general and we opened with some baseball though because you know that Yankee lost last night to the Blue Jays I told you I watched that game on ESPN and I did not watch the Red Sox game I did not watch the Red Sox game I changed to the Red Sox late right after this Blue Jays Yankees game was over it was the ninth inning and it was a depressing turn of events It was like, um, you know, it it was just watching a playoff game and going to like watching a game in April. I mean, it just didn't have the same feeling to it. But the Yankee Blue Jay game last night, and if if this if what happened last night to the Yankees, you know, I I kept trying to think of what was going on Joe Girardi and his pitching staff and the decisions that Joe Girardi was making in the sixth, seventh inning of this game last night where it's the rubber match of this three-game series. Um, The Blue Jays going into this game last night in Toronto in the rubber match against the Yankees. Going into this game, the Blue Jays led the AL East over the Yankees by two and a half games. You know, so for the Yankees last night, a loss is the difference between a game and a half and three and a half. Now, the Yankees lost last night 4 nothing, But in the sixth inning... With you know this pitching matchup that you had, which was phenomenal by the way, Ivan Nova, and then on the other end you had Marcus Stroman, Stroman who's just electric, right? And he's all fired up in Toronto. Let's see, three and all with an ERA under two since coming back from from his surgery from his injury. So uh, look, that you add David Price that I mix in Toronto, they were a scary team. And you know what? They're not playing with Tulowitzki right now. Tulowitzki's hurt. They they're saying he's going to come back. Maybe at the before the season's over or by the playoffs, but they're playing that game without Tulawitsky. This was a huge game. I mean, th- we're talking about what would you rather have? Would you rather take your run at the division or sort of settle in, save some of your arms, and say, "Eh, we'll settle for the one-game wild card." Look, I don't like the one-game wild card. I think it's a crap shoot. I think when you get into one game, obviously we know anything can happen because you know when you're the, even if you're the team at home in that wild card team in that wild card game. You got that second team, their mindset has to be, all right, we're playing with house money, right? I mean, don't let, you know, we, we snuck in the back door to this party. We didn't get an invite to this party. And what's going to happen now is we're going to give you our best. I mean, we're going to give you our top starting pitches. We're going to have a starting pitcher coming out of the fucking bullpen in this game. We're going all out to get into that playoff series, all right? You want to be in the series rather than the one game. And if you're the Yankees last night, you're looking at it going, at least you have to go into this game going, okay, we won the night before. The night before that, we got we got shut down by David Price. But the next night, we won a game in which even our closer blew the save because they got a huge three-run home run from Greg Bird in the 10th inning. Okay? Um, you, you you win that game, rubber match, you're in Toronto, you got Ivan Nova on the mound, you're going up against Marcus Stroman, both pitchers throwing a nice little game for themselves, and you get into the 6th inning, and in that 6th inning, it's it's a scoreless game. Nova gets two outs. Bottom of the sixth in Toronto. Nova gets two outs. He walks Russell Martin. Now, I can understand taking out Nova at this point. 110 pitches, he walks Russell Martin. Uh, you know, okay, 110 pitches. Again, in this day and age of baseball, that's a lot for a starting pitcher. And especially when then you have a walk, you're going to make that move. Most pitchers are going to make the move right there. I don't mind that move. Right. I, I really don't. I don't mind that move. If you're going to go someone in the bullpen that that is a reliable arm. What Joe Girardi did last night was he went to a kid in the sixth inning with two outs and a run around base. He took out his starter, who was damn good in this game. And he puts in a a, a lefty who had only thrown. He's thrown four major league innings in his career. In his career. I, that is, that's insane to me. He's thrown four innings. Has made nine appearances in his Major League career. All this season. Okay, all this season. As a rookie, he goes to a lefty. It's clearly a matchup situation. So I guess I can understand the matchup, but I mean, come on. Uh, what, that's You're going to take out Nova for, for this guy? Is he really a reliable arm? There's no way you can convince me he's a reliable arm for you when he's thrown four innings in his career. I mean, what's the sample size there? It's basically nothing. And that's a huge spot. The, the size of the spot I just mentioned. You know, this is this game last night could have been the difference from having a playoff series and having a one-game one game playoff, a playoff game, a single game, in which the other team's playing without money, and they're not invited to the party. They're crashing the party, and they're going to give you everything they got. They're going to give you the kitchen sink in that one, right? You bring in a kid who had four innings. What's he do? Let's up a single. Okay, first and third, two outs. All right, you had a matchup. It didn't work. You're going back to the bullpen. What do you do when you go to the bullpen? You're bringing a kid by the name of Caleb Cotham. Here's Caleb Cotham's career. This is, see, this is how you know. This is how you know. Like when you search for a guy on these sites online to Google them, to look at their stats, and you go to all the major pages, and they don't have a picture. You know, like when you go to search for a guy and he doesn't have a fucking picture, oh boy, I don't want that guy in a game. He doesn't have a picture. They don't even know what he looks like on ESPN.com. He's thrown eight and a third innings in his career, in nine games in his career, all this season in his rookie season with a 5.40 ERA. It's not like he has eight and a third innings where he's been lights out. Eight and a third innings allowed five runs, two home runs. I mean, come on now. That's what you're gonna go to. That's where you're going. Caleb caught them in that moment. Caleb caught them. What happens? Kevin Pillar rips a single to center field. Scores Russell Martin one nothing Toronto in the sixth inning. Now, caught them actually ended up getting out of the inning with a flyout later on. And I guess at that point you say, okay. Look, we let up a run, you minimize the damage. And at that point, if you're the Yankees in Toronto for the next three innings, all you're trying to do is minimize the damage. You go to the 7th, you don't score a run, you get to the bottom of the 7th, you bring in Andrew Bailey. All right, you gotta bring in someone, you bring in Andrew Bailey. Okay, Andrew Bailey, this season, come back from injury, he's only thrown six innings. So another guy that you haven't seen much of, that hasn't pitched... That much. But, he's, but in fairness, Bailey has pitched a whole lot more in his career than Caleb Cotham or James Pazos has. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing those guys' names right. One of them doesn't have a fucking picture on ESPN.com. Anyways, you bring in Andrew Bailey. I can understand that a little bit more than the other moves that you made if you're Joe Girardi. You're in the seventh. Andrew Bailey lets, off, lets up a leadoff double to Josh Donaldson. All right. Leadoff double. Gets Batista to the ground out to short get the fielder's choice, out at first, Donaldson to third, runner at third, one out, bottom of the seventh, you trail one-nothing, and Canacion with first base open, of course you intentionally walk him, yes, first and third, one out, then you get the smoke, you strike smoke out, he strikes out swinging, two outs, two outs, okay, and Canacion goes to second, second and third, two outs, you trail one-nothing, you need one out. Russell Martin with has taken the entire country on his back, by the way, in in Toronto last night. The place was going nuts. I'm sorry. This is not a spot for Andrew Bailey. This is a spot for Dylan Batances. I have no idea how Betances did, How you do not go out and get Batances. And it's not like the guy has been pitching, uh, you know, his arm's falling off because he's been pitching all week since... The previous Wednesday, he pitched the previous Wednesday, the previous Saturday, and then he pitched the night before. He pitched three times in a week. You can't throw him out for a fourth in what really is, you know, the biggest game of the regular season, given uh, the standings for the division. This is a difference between being a game and a half out with 10 games left, or being three and a half out with 10 games left. It's a big difference with that. So... To me, this was an Obrana. Are they going to go to Batantas? There's two outs. Russell Martin's up at the plate. This is an brainer You get Russell Martin, I mean, with that dirty slider, ninety eight mile per hour fastball. Get him with that dirty slider away. I don't understand. What? They don't go to Russell excuse me, they don't go to Batances? No. They keep Bailey in. In fan is the Bailey, yeah. He's got a one two pitch outside. Guess what happens? Bailey jumps off the mound heading to the dugout like he's going to get strike three called. The ump calls it a ball. Bailey jumps off the mound. Next pitch, very next pitch, you can't make it up. Russell Martin puts it in the seats. Three-run home run. All of Canada is going nuts. I mean, Canada, I, did, did, can you ever, when's the last time you were able to say people in Canada were not watching preseason hockey? Honestly. And this isn't a knock on Canada. I love hockey. You know I love hockey. I think this is probably a knock on the Blue Jays organization. When When is the last time they've been able to say, people in Toronto have been able to say, we don't give a shit about the Maple Leafs game tonight because Russell Martin, we have uh, a guy up at the plate in the seventh inning with two runners on and two outs. I'm sorry, that's not a spot for Andrew Bailey. And I don't care what you say where Andrew Miller isn't available, which he wasn't, and you're thinking that Patances is going to be available late. No, no, no. Patantis needs to come in. He needs to get that out, which he would have. Minimize the damage. You're trailing one nothing, okay? You even throw Patantis out in the eighth inning. And you have him go, you have him ring him up one, two, three. It's a one nothing game. Then you get to the ninth. That home run from Russell Martin was as devastating to that Yankee ball club as you could ever possibly imagine, as you could ever imagine. That's how devastating that was. Um and I'm tr- I, the whole time I'm sitting there going, if this was. You know the Red Sox manager coming out, not going to our any of our reliable guys in either of those spots in the sixth and the seventh inning. I would have broken my TV. I would have broken my fucking TV. And Joe Girardi, I mean, and I, and I know the Yankees didn't score a run, but there's a huge difference from being down one nothing in the eighth and the ninth inning, giving your offense a chance, and being down four nothing in the eighth and the ninth inning. And, and it wasn't just they scored a couple runs. Russell Martin, you know, hometown guy, monster home run. Russell Martin has been in some spots in the playoffs. Now I say playoffs. Last night wasn't a playoff game, but it certainly felt like it. But we'll call it that. We'll say, you know, big games, almost must-win games. Remember a couple years ago, Cueto was in the mound for Cincinnati? Was it the one-game playoff against Pittsburgh? Uh, in Pittsburgh, Cueto's about to pitch to Russell Martin. He dropped The ball fell out of his glove. Rolls down the mound into the grass, and the place went nuts. They were chanting, Cueto. He had to go down and get the ball. Cueto was rattled. Place was going nuts. They were mocking Cueto. The next pitch, Russell Martin puts in the seats for the Pirates. Russell Martin. and last night, Andrew Bailey gets that pitch on the outside. One-two count, thinks he ends the inning. Jumps off the mound, walk into his dugout. Uh-oh, they called it a ball? Yeah, I don't think so. Russell Martin says, fuck that. Pitch down the middle. Puts it in the seats. 4 nothing Toronto. That was a devastating blow. So even though the Yankees didn't score a run, I don't care. If you can get Patances in there to get a big strikeout to Russell Martin with that slider nasty down and away with two strikes, he's going to swing, obviously. There's no, no, no human in their right mind can lay off that pitch. So, uh, you know, you go into the top of the eighth with a one nothing game. That's a different game. It's a different game. And your team's all jacked up because you got the big strikeout from your guy. You bring Batances back out to the 8th. You give your offense another chance in the top of the ninth. I don't know why you wouldn't want to do that if you're Joe Girardi. I don't know why. And I kept trying to watch that going, wow, if this was the Red Sox and this was the Red Sox manager making this decision, I'd be on this show today calling for that guy to be fired. Okay? I would. I'd say I don't want him back next season making these decisions. Just dumb decisions from Joe Girardi. Last night, but you know what? You think about the Bailey move and not going to Botansis. I mean, the sixth inning looks like nothing. But you went, you went to two kids in a row that combined for what, twelve and a third innings in their careers, and all coming this season, their rookie season. Whew. But I tell you what, one heck of a game last night. I watched it. I watched it over the Red Sox. It just had a postseason feel. I was excited. I was jacked up. I couldn't take my eyes off it. I couldn't change the channel. The Red Sox are playing. The Blue Jays Yankee game ends right. Blue Jays win four 0 They now they lead the AL East three and a half games. Looks like the Yankees will get the wild card spot. They'll <laughs> play either the Twins, the Angels, or the Astros. I think it's probably going to be Houston, but we'll wait and see. If you know what, if I agree with Neil, what he told told me in this conversation that I'm going to play for you right now. He said he'd rather play the Twins out of all those teams. If I'm a Yankee fan, I'm get a yes. I need to play the Twins all day, every day, in that one-game playoff. That's what it looks like. But when that game ends last night, it becomes official. I, I actually come back to the Red Sox game. I come back. I see a home run hit. Next pitch, Machi, the reliever for the Red Sox. He hits a guy, or at least he throws at a guy up and in. It's a slider. I do think it slipped out of his hands, right? I wouldn't be surprised if there was a little intent to that, but, yeah. Or Sillo and Remy were like, oh, there was no intent. I know it was came in at like eighty miles an hour and it was a slider that just didn't it slipped out of his hand. Eh, all right. Either way, he just sets up a home run. It doesn't look good. I can understand the umpire making that knee jerk reaction and throwing Machi out of that game. I can understand it. I think if he had another if he if he had to do it all over again and he and he realized how fast the pitch came in and what the pitch actually was. You know, but at that game didn't really matter. The Red Sox season's over. The Rays season is over. At that point, the ump just wanted to go home without a fight. And so I don't – whatever. Get the game over with. Then you get another home run. You know, you bring in another guy. Another home run is hit. And uh, it's just – it was depressing. Nobody's in the seats at Fenway. It was very depressing. Very depressing. And I can't wait till the Red Sox are back in the postseason race. But they got some work to do. Dave Dombrowski's got some work to do to give me that – You know, that real postseason baseball feel here in Boston. But even though the Red Sox aren't in it, that doesn't mean I'm going to ignore some of the other teams that are. And uh, I talked with Neil Keefe, who covers the Giants, covers the Yankees. He joined me over the phone this morning. He is uh, the host of the Keefe to the City podcast. Check him out at com. Follow him on Twitter, at Neil Keefe. Uh, Neil Keefe joined me. We talk Yankees. We talked some baseball. We got to the Giants, which is gonna—they're oh, gonna open up week three tonight, Thursday night football, hosting the Redskins. I got his pick on that. Stick around after this conversation because uh, I will close the show out with my official pick with the spread: Giants, Redskins. Do I even have one? You're gonna have to stick around to find out. Uh, here is my conversation with Neil Keith, presented by Violent Gentlemen. Go to ViolentGentlemen.com right now to order some of the hottest t-shirts, hoodies, hats, and accessories on the sports scene. From the ice to the octagon, from the ring to the field, Violent Gentleman honors the fight, the art, the opponent, and the sport. Violentgentleman.com. Enjoy and stick around afterwards. All right, joining me over the phone right now is Neil Keefe, host of the podcast, Keefe to the City. Find all of his podcasts and columns at Keefe to the City. Dot com. You can also follow him on Twitter, at Neil Keefe. Uh, does a lot of New York Giants, New York Yankees stuff. I'll ask him about this and uh, some other things going on in New York. But he joins me over the phone right now. Neil, what's going on? How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Dan. How
0: about you? I'm doing good. I watched this Yankees-Blue Jays series. I watched the entire series. And um, I know you had written something on your website today, keeftothecity.com com. And you go after Joe Girardi about how he handled the Yankee pitching staff last night in the sixth and the seventh inning in this loss to the Blue Jays. Um, And I completely agree with you. I mean, what's the now, answer this question for me. What's going on in the Yankees' bullpen where he would have to go to James Pazos and Caleb Cotham? I don't even know if I'm pronouncing their names correctly. They've combined for 12 and a third innings this year. Not just this year. In their careers, they combined for 12 and a third innings. Uh, What's going on in the Yankees' bullpen where Joe Girardi would have to make the move to those two guys in the sixth inning last night?
1: I I wish I knew. I I mean, it's just one questionable move after another. This has been an ongoing thing now, and I do understand that outside of Dylan Betancis and Andrew Miller, who are the best one-two combination in any bullpen in the league, even better than anything the Royals have, uh, after them, it's been a little shaky. I mean, Justin Wilson. He he has these stretches where he'll, you know, he'll have no runs for a month at a time and then he'll have three bad, bad bombs in a row. Chasing Shreve was great for the entire season until recently when he sort of came back down to earth. And right outside of the chance of the middle, there's no one really you can trust. And with September call ups, the Yankees, you know, loading their bullpen with Triple A uh, and Young and rookie arm. Uh, it's given already a variety of options, but there's a reason these guys are in Triple A or Double A for most of the season. There's a reason the only reason the only way they're on the major league roster now is with the september call-ups and that's because they're not ready for the spotlight they're not ready for prime time they're not ready for the major league yet and he keeps turning to them the biggest of moments and you know i, I wrote how tuesday night's game was essentially game six of a series the yankees were down three to two and when it comes to the ale and if they lost that game then last night's game didn't matter but they won so last night's game became game seven for the AL East. and if they lost that the east was over and they'd have to settle for the one game playoff and he trots these guys out, you know, <laughs> comes in after Nova gives up a two-out walk, and, and granted he's had 110 pitches, but he had dominated to that point of the game, and Girardi just likes to, you know, get his fingers into the game. He likes to make his moves known. He likes to get to the bullpen five and six times a game if he can't. So he brings him in. He can't get the job done against the lefty. He, he brings in Coppin, who's just, you know, he's a 27-year-old rookie he throws hard, but hmm. there's a reason he's 27 and hasn't pitched in the majors until this season. Uh, and then you go to Andrew Bailey who you're well aware of the last time he played in the majors outside of this month was two years ago in July of 2013 for the Red Sox before he was injured so he calls on those two guys to, to try to navigate through the six they can't he calls on Bailey to get through the best two three four hitters the top three of the top right-handed hitters in the entire world uh, with this season on it's just it's just unbelievable and Granted, Miller was unavailable because he threw 42 pitches the night before, which was his season high. But Jernretty uh, after the game said his plan was to get to Wilson in the eighth and Betances in the ninth. That too many times he goes with his set innings idea where Betances has to be the eighth guy, Wilson has to be the seventh, and Miller has to be the ninth. And last night, because Miller's out, Betances is the ninth and Wilson is the eighth. But you know, baseball doesn't go according to a plan. You have to you know manage what's in front of you. And last night, he managed for a situation that never actually existed, it, and it cost the Yankees a division title, and now they're playing the one-game playoff.
0: You're fired up about it, and I would be too, because I'm watching this game in the sixth inning going, wow, if if this was the Red Sox, and they were throwing these two kids into this game in this big spot, I'd be fired up, and, and to get people caught up if people didn't watch it, the Blue Jays went 4 nothing last night. But this was a scoreless game in the sixth inning. Nova was pitching very well, but I, I thought it was the right call to take him out through one hundred and ten pitches uh, after he walked. Russell Martin, right two outs, a runner on. he brings in Pazos, who again doesn 't have much experience, if any, at all, at the major league level, and he lets up a single, so you get first and third, two outs, then you you, you know Pazos, what do you throw three or four pitches you bring in the kid Kotham, who again has almost zero major league experience. Uh, he allows a single from Kevin Pillar, which drives in a run that gave the Blue Jays a one to nothing lead. Uh, it seemed like you were fired up about that on your website when I read your story, and as I listened to you here. But I look at I look at the seventh inning. It's a one nothing game in Toronto, bottom of the seventh. Andrew Bailey's in this game, and when you get two outs, right, he strikes out Smoke, and then you get so you got a runner on. Um, you got. Russell Martin up at the plate, right? And I just don't know. two runners on. Russell Martin up at the plate. I don't understand why you leave Andrew Bailey in this situation. And, and what's funny about no, it, I don't. What's funny about it is, yeah, Neil, I mean... is that Andrew Bailey, he thought he got strike three. He was walking off the mound, right? And it ends up they called it a ball. Very next pitch, Russell Martin put it into the seats. In my opinion, you've got to throw Batances into that game at that spot to face Russell Martin. I have no idea why, why Joe Girardi wouldn't go there
1: yeah I agree, and uh I mean whether that was a strike or a ball, and I know he you know people will say he got screwed on the call, but whatever you make the pitch, the next pitch is hit five hundred feet on a wide drive, so uh, there's nothing you can really say about that, but that just you know George already deserved that he deserved that 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 result because he left the campus there uh in the bullpen. you know the guy pitched the night before he threw twenty pitches. Those are the only he 20 pitches he's thrown in a week. I mean, he's averaging four pitches a day over the course of a week, and he can't come into the biggest game of the season. And it just tells me that, you know, this team has been together now for seven-plus months. you got six months of spring training. they played 151 regular season games now. You know, the grueling MLB schedule is finally winding down. And with the season on the line in the biggest moment of the season, he turns the guys who haven't even been with this team, haven't been on this team, haven't been in the major league the entire year, or for their lives. And it just, it honestly makes me crazy to think about, because it makes no sense whatsoever that he would manage that game the way he did. And, uh, you know, I'm sure now that they play the White Sox four games, I'm sure he'll go ball to the wall here and, you know, uh, bring in the for four or five out tonight. or yeah. just something just to, you know, twist the knife on all the Yankee fans, because really, I mean, you look at that, like you said, that seventh inning, that, that's the turning point of the game. And granted, the Blue Jays did get one run, and the Yankees, got get shut out, so people like to say, hey, you know, you got shut out, you weren't going to win anyway, but that's not the case because playing down one run is uh, obviously a hell of a lot easier than playing down four. It's a different mentality when you go to the plate and, uh, and and you look at that situation there and the Blue Jays, you know, a lot of people are talking about them going to the World Series and how they're the best team in the AL, and, and they might be, but they also have what, a horrible bullpen. And Adam Osuna, who's, you know, just a, a you know fresh-faced kid who's never been in this spotlight before, uh, their bullpen is very, very shaky. And we saw that last night in the ninth inning when Arod led let off of his double. And if that's the one-nothing game there, you've got Arod on second with no outs. You pinch run for him. You know, maybe you punch him over. And maybe, you know, a, a variety of things that happened to tie mm-hmm. that game to change the outcome of the game. Uh, and they didn't let it happen. And now they're stuck with a situation where they're going to either face the Astros, Twins, or Angels in a one-game playoff. And it doesn't matter if you're facing one of those three teams or the Philadelphia Phillies or the Miami Marlins or the Arizona Diamondbacks in one game, anything can happen, and it's a horrible spot to be in.
0: Yeah, I, again, that seventh inning I, with two outs, uh, two runners on, Russell Martin at the plate. I, I don't know why you wouldn't go to Betances, especially Betances is not like he's pitched. I mean, he pitched on last Wednesday, pitched Saturday. And he pitched on uh, Tuesday night. I mean, I don't understand why you couldn't throw him into that game. But uh, it ends up hurting him because Russell Martin hit a home run, a three-run home run off Andrew Bailey. Blue Jays took a 4 nothing lead. And at that point, if you heard the crowd in Toronto like you did, Neil, uh, that was the game. The game was over once he hit that home run. And now the Yankees, as you mentioned, three and a half games out of the AL East. So you think there's, there's no shot? to to get back into this into uh, the Aleys. no shot they got the wild no time. I mean
1: there's no there's no chance at all I mean granted they do have the White Sox for four and the Red Sox for four and then they go to Baltimore for three to finish the season but 11 games left the Blue Jays have 10 uh, they've got the Rays for most of those games and then uh, the Orioles for the other one but uh it's just it's a terrible spot to be and there's no way they're going to overcome a three and a half game deficit for this team they haven't been able to overcome a two game deficit for nearly two months now against the blue jays so i don't know why people think in the next 12 days they're all of a sudden gonna array three like it's nothing uh you know they couldn't take care of their own business the red Sox opened out last weekend with those uh you know great comeback wins to, to sort of ironically help the yankees and then their playoff situation mm. but it just didn't work out and now you know, Girardi and Cashman have both said, uh, you know, just get in the playoffs. And, and it's funny, and I, and I talked about this, at the that time as well, because Brian Cashman the other day uh, told reporters that, you know, he didn't care how the Yankees got in the playoffs just that they got in. And it's very convenient for him to say that after he went through the trade deadline making no moves other than acquiring Dustin Ackley and the team blew an eight-game lead uh, in two weeks right after the trade deadline. So, obviously, Cashman's going to say he's content with the wild card because if he says it's disappointing to now settle for the wild card after blowing the division lead, then it's him calling himself out for not doing anything to make this team better. When they knew Michael Panetta was hurt at the trade deadline, uh, they knew the rotation was shaky as is. When CP was on the shelf, not to knock hurt of all he's done for the season, the bullpen outside of the chances and Miller has been horrible, uh, and it's just it's just it's just a bad vibe because this team had a, had a situation with two months left in the season where they could have just you know played all right baseball, even with the crazy run the Blue Jays went on, uh, they could have still won this division. They had the opportunity last night, uh, and you look back to the deadline, and, and granted, you know you've seen what Greg Bird and Luis Severino have done for the team, and it probably would have cost those two to get David Price and maybe that wasn't the move to make but he certainly swung the division in the in the Blue Jays favor. The Yankees finished the season 6 and 13 against the Blue Jays. Uh you know 7 games under 500 and three back of them. That that's certainly the difference there but uh it just it's horrible. It, it's a terrible feeling to watch this team day in and day out all season and now uh they have to win this one game uh in two weeks which is just going to be, you know, a, a, a nerve-wracking night in the Bronx and uh I don't know. It could have ended
0: differently, and Roger already made sure it didn't. Wait, so do you, I was going to get into wild card opponents potentially, but I got you just mentioned something to David Price. You know, he ends up in Toronto. The Yankees don't trade for him. You hold on to Luis Severino and Greg Bird, who I would think Greg Bird has made some people forget about Mark to share it at least just for a few days, a few weeks. Um, and I look as a Red Sox fan. I don't want to have to face Luis Severino for the next ten years. I tweeted that out the other night. I just I don't want to I don't want to see that for the next ten plus years. But that's what we're gonna see. So do you would you have preferred? Do you think the Yankees should have traded those guys to bring David Price in for a rental?
1: Well, it's, it you know in hindsight, no, because you've seen how good Severino can be, and and Bird's been better than Teixeira. Maybe not defensively, but the kid's 22 years old, and he has a bright future. Where you know is, uh on his way out after next season was the last year of his deal. So, to see them play now and to see their contributions, I wouldn't have made the deal at the time. You could make the case that you would because at the time, you could say the best that Luis Severino might ever be is David Price. And granted, David Price is now 30, and he's going to get a big money deal, and and I'm sure the Yankees will be scared away because of what they've gone through with CC after giving him that big deal at the same age as Price is with relatively, you know, the same amount of innings and, and the same miles on his arm. Uh But, you know, so Price won is the division in their favor and I understand that the Blue Jay situation is completely different than the Yankees. They haven't been in the playoffs for twenty two years. Their GM's on the hot seat, their managers on the hot seat. They had to do something to revive baseball in Toronto and Canada. Um, and they went all in for it. And and now are they're reaping the benefits. They're they're uh, in a great position to go on a run here. They're they have to be you know, one of the top two, three favorites outside of maybe the Royals and Cardinals to win the World Series. So, uh they're in a great spot. They they mortgage their basically their entire future to get is a price of two whiskey because uh their farm system got decimated by it and uh you know the tigers and the rockies will uh will see the benefits of that over the future years but the blue jays had to make the deal the yankees didn't necessarily have to make the deal i also feel like a lot of people expected the yankees to to sort of suck again this year the way they did the last two years like thanks to underachievers and injuries and maybe the yankees are a little bit ahead of schedule no one predicted a rod to hit 32 home runs as a share to you know turn back the clock in 2009 and go on the run. He did. But maybe the Yankees being ahead of schedule sort of uh, made the front office decide to, to hold off and stay with these kids. And, and the youth movement's worked. And, and Luis Severino has, has been as good as you could be for a 21-year-old who barely pitched in AAA before getting called up. And uh, right now, I mean, between Tanaka and him for the one-game playoff, if Tanaka is healthy enough, can't overcome this grade-one hamstring strain, uh, I'd like to see him in that spot just because he he's he the big money guy he's paid to be the ace uh he's been in pressure situations before and i just feel like to him he would do everything in his power to not let this team down because you saw that when he hurt his elbow last year you have seen it when he doesn't go out and give you a complete game shutout he's devastated if he doesn't you know go start to finish and come close out the game so to him i feel like he would feel like he let everybody down not just in new york but his everyone in japan as well if he didn't win that game and Severino, I mean, I think he should be right there as well for the one-game playoff. If Tanaka can't go, he should get the ball. And uh, I really think that outside of those two, no one in the one-game playoff, whether you go Tanaka, then bring in Severino, and then go Kansas Miller, those are the only four names that should ever see the ball in the one-game playoff. I don't care in what inning or what situation, uh, but those are the only four people that should ever throw a pitch in that game. But I have a feeling that Joe already has other plans with, uh, you know, some of the bullpen names he's been running out lately. All
0: right, Neil, if you're right, if you're correct, and in fact you think the Blue Jays will win the division now after taking two of three from the Yankees in Toronto uh, this week, if you're right and you see the Yankees getting that in that wild card game, I mean, at least right now it looks like it will be in the Bronx. Uh, if you're the Yankees, who would you rather play in that game? And these are the teams that are closest to you. The Astros, the Twins, or the Angels? Or I guess maybe I should ask, who do you think the Yankees shouldn't want to play out of those three? The Astros, the Twins, or the Angels?
1: The the number one team I don't want to see is the Astros. They've been a bad baseball team now since, I think, June 4th. They're uh, several games under five hundred, and really the only reason they're in the spot. they because of what they did in April and May. But that's the one team I don't want to face out of the three because Dallas Cagle's there. He has dominated the Yankees. He's gone two games against them. One's a complete game shutout. The other, a seven-game shutout. The 16 innings this year, he gives up like seven hits with 21 strikeouts and one walk. He's quickly 2.0 to the Yankees. If he pitches in that game, I could easily see them getting shutout. And then, you know, you got those big boppers in the middle of the order for uh, the Astros, and you've got Correa, you've got Altuve, and Springer worried about in the base half. That game just has disaster rain all over it. I could see them getting shutout and just you know, one of those games like they lost the lead in the World Series or in the 2010 ALCS or the Beckett performance in Game 6 of the 2003 World Series. Just one of those games where you, no one couldn't put a good swing on the ball and it's just, you're just watching the season and, and counting the head down the out till the season's over. So that is the number one team I don't want to see. Second would have to be the Angels. Um I used to be petrified of them in the playoffs until the Yankees overcame them in 2009 in the ALCS. But, they don't really have the, the, the arms. They don't have, you know, out, outside of trial. I mean, I guess who holds can scare you, but he's a shell of informer him stuff. He still has the power, but he doesn't hit for average. Uh, and they just, I don't know. I just don't have any fear of the Angels anymore. And maybe that's, uh, you know, a little too much confidence because certainly any team can win the one game playoffs. And that leaves us with the twins who I absolutely am praying the Yankees play as the team they. Owned forever in the postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat them in the 2003 ALDS, beat them in the 2004 ALDS, swept them in 09 in the ALDS, swept them in 2010 in the ALDS. Uh, they've owned the Minnesota Twins forever. They don't have an ace who really puts the fear of God into you as an opposing fan. Their lineup is nothing special. Joe Mauer isn't the Joe Mauer we saw in the playoffs, you know, five six seasons ago. Uh, the Twins, oh uh, man, they. I, yeah, I'm the biggest Minnesota Twins scan right now, because that's the team I want to see rolling in here in 12 days.
0: All right. Well, you know what? Stay somewhat optimistic, because at least you're going to have postseason baseball. I mean, I I changed the channel from that game last night, which was pretty much like a playoff game, and the first thing I see is Red Sox reliever uh, Machi hits a guy with a slider. (laughs) They, They throw him out of the game. And next thing you know, someone rips a home run off the Red Sox. And I'm like, and nobody's in the crowd. And I'm going, what the fuck is going on here? Like, I, this is not what I changed the channel to watch. But um, I watched Yankees-Blue Jays last night. And and I actually, yeah, you know, I tweeted last night, too. And, and I took some heat for it uh, from some people in Red Sox Nation. I said, yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind watching a Blue Jays-Yankees playoff series. Like, I wouldn't mind watching that. The baseball fan in me wouldn't mind watching that. Now, the Red Sox fan in me. You know, it makes me makes me sick to my stomach having to having to watch something like that. But the baseball fan in me wouldn't mind it, uh, and and I think that could be possible. And if it's anything like what we saw this week, it's going to be one heck of a playoff series. So stay optimistic, because at least they have playoffs. But uh, I'm not so sure, Neil. You're going to be as optimistic about your football team in New York right now, and and you're not a you're not a Jets guy. You're a Giants guy, right? And and so, I'm a giant guy. Thursday night football tonight, Giants are three and a half point favorites, mainly because it's in their own building. They host the Washington Redskins. That's another reason why they're three and a half point favorites. Giants are 0-2 looking for their first win. The Redskins are 1-1. and uh, What are you expecting from the G-Men tonight on Thursday night football?
1: I think they have to win. I mean, I thought they had to win last week. They didn't win. They caught a lucky break with. Romo being hurt, Des is out, Witten's banged up, the Eagles are a mess, and the Redskins are the Redskins. So only in the NFC East could you be 0-2. and Even if they lose tonight, what's crazy, at 0-3 with two divisional losses, it's not like their season's over now. It's, I don't want them to lose. I They shouldn't lose to the Redskins at home on a short week. Uh, but it, it's the New York Giants. They've been like this my whole life, no matter who the coach is, who the quarterback is. What the personnel is—it's the same thing. Every win is 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 as painful as a loss because you have to eke it out in the final minutes, or you're blowing games like they did on Sunday Night Football in Dallas, which I still don't understand what happened there in the final minutes. Or last week against Atlanta when they couldn't put the game away and it came back to screw them over. Uh, that's Giants football, and and we're at the point now with uh, you know Tom Coughlin was able to. Survive a second half lap in 2012 because he won the Super Bowl in 2011. He was able to survive two back-to-back losing seasons the last two years because of this, his two Super Bowl wins. But he's at the point now, owing to Eli just got an 84 million dollar extension for four more years. Uh, I mean, this this culture with this team is just bad right now. And as a fan, it's the same thing every week. They're undisciplined. They have too many injuries. Uh, they take stupid penalties. It's it's the same thing over and over again, week in week out with the Giants. It's, going back to week nine in 2012 coming off their super bowl win they were six and two and they had a chance to lock up the NFC East they finished that season three and five the next year they went seven and nine last year they went six and ten so if you go back to week nine in 2012 this team is 16 and 26 and four of those 16 wins are against the Redskins so if you take the Redskins out of the league they're 12 and 26 against the rest of the league they've been able to beat up on the Redskins they'll have to do that again on Thursday night and you know, I was so pumped to to go to this game and go, you know, see Giants uh, while the weather's still nice and Thursday night football. And now I'm on the fence if I should go or not because uh I just feel like it's just gonna be a crappy Giants Redskin game and everyone will watch it because it's the NFL and it's football and, and there's you know not much else going on. The playoff races and baseball are, are pretty much uh, fading away until the postseason begins. But uh I just have a feeling it's just going to be an awful game. But hopefully the Giants you know, can run them out of the building and win the way they did last year on Thursday Night Football in September against the Redskins. I think it was like 45-14. So they need one of those wins. They need something big to turn the season around because after the weeks 1-2 and two and looking and seeing that they could be 2-0 right now with uh, quality wins against the Cowboys and the Falcons, they're 0-2 and the season is filing out of control just like the last two did. I,
0: I wasn't gonna ask you about that week one debacle until you brought it up. But I, I have to while I have you, I have <laughs> to I have to give you my theory on what I think was going through Eli Manning's mind as he told his running back to not put it into the end zone, right? And he's gonna say I know this is Eli's excuse that he thought the cow, you know, he thought the Cowboys were out of timeouts. You know what I think he thought? And and he would never admit to this, and he'd much rather admit to something like a, you know, how many timeouts he thought You know what I think happened? I think Eli thought the game was tied. I think he thought the game was tied. I don't think he thought that they were up 23-20. Because if you think you're up 23-20, I don't care how many timeouts the other team has. They could have zero. You put it into the end zone and take a 10-point lead. I don't think he thought they were going to take a 10-point lead. I think that he thought that if they put it in, it would be a one-possession game. And that because it would be a one-possession game, they needed to run the clock down. I think he thought the game was tied, Neil. What do you think of that theory?
1: (laughs) I mean, that's not that nuts. I haven't heard that one yet. But given what happened, what transpired in those final minutes, that's not really that nuts. I know that he had talked about the timeouts. He said he wasn't sure how many. And there was a confusing play to his credit where that Dallas called the timeout, and then they gave the timeout back, and they said they didn't have to. And at that point, he's on the sideline talking with Coughlin and offensive coordinator Ben McAdoo. You know, I don't know, maybe they're not taking attention at that time. Maybe he doesn't hear it. Maybe the timeout excuse is real. But even if it is real, the call they make on third down to not run the ball, and, and they throw it out of the end zone, he doesn't go down and just take a sack because they're out of the end zone. But that play was so insane. That's the worst play I've seen. I guess, really, since the since the decision to not run Marshall Lynch on the one-yard line, which wasn't that long ago in football terms, but that's right up there with, with as bad as it gets. And granted, it's week one, it's not on the stage of the Super Bowl with seconds left, but, I mean, what goes through your head? And, and people have been questioning how Eli and Coughlin could have ever won two Super Bowls together, and I think that's a valid question, because if you could screw up something so easy, as that clock management, you know, in that situation in Dallas, uh, I just, I don't know. I mean, maybe he did think it was tied. I, I'll believe anything at this point because no one has, you know, given me a reason yet to say, oh, okay, that makes sense. Nothing makes sense how Eli couldn't get under control, how Coughlin couldn't, the play it called for Mac to do, unless I went through Coughlin. Just none of it adds up. And really, you look at the team and what happened last week as well against the Falcons where they, where they seemed like the game was out of reach. And then, sure enough, they, they never go in for the kill, which is something that I envy about your Patriots is that, They always play. They just keep going. They just keep going down the field. They don't care how much time is left. They're not going to run the ball. They're not going to try to run the clock out. They just keep on trying to score. And the Giants' whole thing is they always try to get up like 10 points, and then you know they take their foot off, and they look at the clock, and they think, oh, we can run it here a couple times. We'll park it here a couple times, and hopefully at the end of the game there's no time left for the other team. They never put their foot on the other team's throat. They always give them the opportunity to come back. And really you can look at these two games as Preston Parker, the Giants' third receiver after uh, Odell Beckham right now and Reuben Randall, who's really the fourth receiver when Cruz is, is healthy, cost them both games because he had so many third-down drops. It's just absolutely disgusting to watch. And this is a guy that they kept on the roster because supposedly he's good on special teams. And they went ahead and cut James Jones, who went back to the Packers and already has three touchdowns in two weeks. And now the Giants cut Parker this week after just, throwing away two games for the season. So uh, there's been a lot wrong with this Giants team in two weeks, and I thought things were different. I thought when I was watching them go to Dallas and the defense looked strong and they were forcing turnovers, I thought, hey, maybe this Giants team is different. But I thought that the year after they won the Super Bowl against the Patriots in 07, I thought that the year after they beat the Patriots in 2011, and just nothing will ever change with this Giants team. It's always going to be this hard to win a game, and it's always going to be seemingly that easy to lose a game, and I just think that's going to be the way they are forever.
0: I'm glad you at least think my theory makes some sense, and you know, not to keep going back to some bad thoughts from that Week One game against the Cowboys, but I mean, if I had to ask you, Neil, if I said, "Hey, you know, your Giants are going to be down at the one-two yard line, wherever they were, they were, you know, sniffing the end zone," um, and you know what, the Cowboys had no timeouts left, and and but you could put it in and make it a ten-point game, right, and give them—I think it was like what was it, two minutes, a minute and a half they would have had if they didn't run, right? I think that's what it would have been. If I told you that, let's say I'll give you two minutes, but I can go up, but but your team can go up 10, and they have no timeouts. Or you can try to run it down, kick a field goal, and it would be a one-possession game, and they'd have 45 seconds left. Which one of those two options would you take? Would you take the 10 points? <laughs> I yeah. mean you
1: gotta take the ten Exactly, the that they're gonna go down score, get an outside kick score again with no time. I mean, the the chance of that is so minuscule that it's impossible actually. They weren't gonna do that. It just wasn't gonna happen. But you know, at the same time, I mean Everyone talks about Eli and Coughlin and the situation they put the team in because they could have run the clock down to about thirty, even if they put, even if they had run on third down and then they get in on fourth. I mean, they should have made the determination before that if it was going to be, you know, uh, if they were going to go for it on all four downs or not. But they, there were so many ways that they could have won that game, and in and in turn, no one. I mean, some people have talked about it, but not enough that how bad is the defense? To just, I mean, the, the Cowboys went down the field it being like in. Five t- seconds of real time, you know, pass here, up to middle pass. They didn't even, even spike the ball. They were just going up the field so quick. The Giants never called time out. They're the team with the timeout, but and they never call time out to give the defense a rest, to talk it over, to maybe you know get a breather for a second. The Cowboys are the one with all the pressure on them, and you know who cares if you're stopping the clock at that point? You're trying to hold on and win the game, and, and the defense was just so tired. Every single play for the Cowboys was a mismatch. I, I, it, it, it was it's unbelievable. I just I can't even. You know, I thought I was over it. You, you started talking about it again, and now here <laughs> come all these bad memories two weeks later. So, uh, I mean, that's as bad as a Giants. But that's, that's up there with, you know, the miracle at the New Meadowlands a couple of years ago in 2010 when they had the 28-point lead over the Eagles with one of the eight minutes left and blew that, and then the punt return for just John Jackson to win the game. I mean, this is as bad as that granted that cost them a postseason appearance, but this might, at the end of the day, who knows with the way the NFC shakes out, I mean, that divisional loss to the Cowboys, that could be a tiebreaker that comes back to screw them over later in the season, and uh, you you just can't have mental mistakes like that in the NFL, and for a guy like Coughlin, who's, you know, one of the most well-respected coaches, not only in the league now, but in history, really, when you think about what he's accomplished, for him to to not have that situation under control, I mean, that's something that you would never see in New England. I, I mean, it's it's just something that the Patriots they would that they would never blow a game like that they would they would be the beneficiary of games like that because things always seem to work out well for them but they would never let that happen I can't believe Tom Coughlin let that happen I have no idea what Eli Manning was thinking uh they they better win on Thursday night against the Redskins because uh, if they're zero in three uh with ten days off until their next game it's it's gonna get really ugly here in New York especially if the Jets can win again this week because it looks like. The Jets are actually the you know the team to be and the team to be in New York right now. Yeah,
0: I'll get away from that. And before I let you go though, uh, this this NFC East, it, it, you know, I look at the Cowboys and I look at the Romo injury. I mean, when you say that the Giants they could lose tonight, I don't think they will. But when you say they could lose tonight to the Redskins, be 0 and 3 and still have a chance, you only say that because Romo is injured, right? That's like that's the only reason you say that.
1: No, I mean, you. I, two years ago, the Giants were 0-6, and, and the Cowboys were healthy, and the Giants got to 4-6, and, and then they played a game a couple weeks before Thanksgiving where at 4-6, and 6, they played the Cowboys with a chance where if they won, they would have been in first place in the East at 5-6, and 6, and they lost that game in devastating fashion the way they seem to have done with the Cowboys in the last three to four years. Uh, and that was with the healthy Cowboys team, and that was with the Eagles where you know they they were sort of a mess at the quarterback situation there, uh, and the Redskins were the Redskins. But really, the only team you have to worry about, I feel like, is the Cowboys. And I still wouldn't be worried even with Romo in, uh, because I feel like the Cowboys always shoot themselves in the foot. They're very much like the Giants. Uh, they like to, you know, they, they seem to always play to their opponent's level. And at some point, they have two to three bad losses a season. Uh, and and now without Romo, I mean, Brandon Weeden. I, I don't know how anyone expects him to sort of go on some miracle run here with Romo out for whatever it is, 8 to 10 weeks. No Dez Bryant. Witten says he's going to play, but he's dealing with various injuries. And for a guy of his age playing that position, to have various injuries already after two games uh, is pretty incredible. And the Dallas defense, I mean, they're not even good. The whole, the whole reason the Giants couldn't have run up the score on Dallas is because their offense is so good at holding onto the ball. I mean, they, their first drive, it was like eight minutes of real time. NBC went to their first commercial and the Dallas was up three, nothing. And in the first quarter, the first half was probably like 35 minutes of real time. So yeah, Alex's whole thing is they just, you know, play ball possession and, and they're not going to be able to do that. We did without Brian. And I guess they're going to throw to Williams and Cole Beasley. And I, I just, I just don't see it. And at all three, the Giants would still be alive. Now I don't want them to be put in that situation because you lose to the Redskins at home. Uh, I don't think your season's going anywhere uh, as it is, but if they win tonight, at one and two, the Redskins will be one and two. They'll have the tiebreaker on the Redskins. The Eagles be zero and two, and the Cowboys will be one and one. Uh, it's anyone's division, and maybe we'll get a seven and nine, maybe even a six and ten champion out of the NFC East this year. All
0: right. So finally, you know, you're running around New York City today, and you're spreading the word that uh, my theory, Eli, uh, he he thought the game was tied. I, I also want you to to, to maybe f- make your way. Can you make your way to Queens, right? And I want you to to go into City Field, and I want you to give Matt Harvey this one stat uh, that I threw out yesterday that people were talking about after learning of Yogi Berra's passing. Um, The stat is that Yogi Berra, he caught both games of a doubleheader 117 times. I need you to get that stat in the hands of Matt Harvey ASAP. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, you know what's funny about that is I texted you after I heard you say that yesterday, and the crazier stat is that he only struck out 12 times in you know, almost 650-something plate appearances in 1950, which is just insane. But I asked someone after I heard, because I hadn't heard of that double header stat before, which I thought I knew just about every crazy Yogi stat there was. And I said uh, I said to my girlfriend, I was like, how many times do you think Yogi Bear caught both games in doubleheader in his career? And she was like, I don't know, five? And I was like, no, 117. That is just so incredible, and because you see players nowadays, whether it's Harvey and his stupid innings limit, or it's Jacoby Ellsbury sitting out because you know I don't know he's lightheaded, or Mark Teixeira has a bad pinky, or any of these guys who just milk it so badly, they play 140 games, they make more money. You know, I saw a baseball reference that Yogi made a 720 thousand dollars in his career. That like, that's like 25 innings for Jacoby Ellsbury to make. What Yogi Berra, like one of the greatest players in baseball history, made it in his entire career. And, you know, granted the the 40s, 50s, 60s was a long time ago, and you know, value of money is a little different. But that's just it. Just it blows my mind away that the guy, what they went through. Someone like Yogi, as someone who was in World War II, he had to work, you know, jobs in the off season. Uh, you know, or on the weekends, and it was just a completely different, you know, time. And it was great to see everyone celebrate his life yesterday, and the Yankees will honor him. I'm sure. On Thursday night at the stadium, they're wearing number 8 on the sleeve for the rest of the year. But to come back to Matt Harvey, I mean, he grew up a Yankees fan. I'm thinking that at some point he's going to want to get a big money deal from the Yankees. He's from Connecticut. Uh, but to see him and to hear everyone call him the dark knight, and this is a guy who has accomplished nothing in his career. I mean, he's, they've read made the play playoffs when he's been healthy. Uh, when he isn't healthy, they've sunk. Uh, he's only been in the league for really two-plus seasons. When you take out the year he missed because of his arm injury, And he just was, you know, sort of given this title, given this, you know, heroic image of himself before he ever accomplished anything. And now here he is, you know, not going against Scott Forrest, letting Scott Forrest dictate his life and his career and uh, it could cost the Mets, and I hope it does. I mean, I if, I want the Mets out of the postseason. I, they don't belong there. The NLE the NL is the biggest joke, and to hear Mets fans talk about how the Yankees were the beneficiaries of, you know, the Orioles and the Rays and the Blue Jays being bad for so long, but, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox have gone head-to-head 19 times for a long time now, so it's not like even on the years that the Rays were horrible in the early 2000s or late 90s, uh it's not like the AL East was really ever a horrible division, and to see the NL East this year, you've got the Marlins, the Braves, and the Phillies on the three worst records in baseball. They're all in the same division. Then you've got the Nationals, who are the biggest frauds in professional sports, uh, and then the Mets. And it's it's so easy to win that division that I, I don't know. It just I hope they play. I hope Kershaw, Drake go out complete game shutouts. I want them out of the playoffs. I just can't deal with the Mets fans right now thinking that, you know, (laughs) their team is so high and mighty uh, when they're just walking in the playoffs. It's actually backing in. I mean, they lost two games in a row to the Braves, who are the worst team in the league right now, even worse than the Phillies. So uh, I hope Matt Harvey somehow screws this up. I hope they screw up Jacob DeGrom. I hope everything goes wrong for the Mets. I hope they're out in three games next week and, uh, you know, and everything is right in the world. Hopefully the Yankees win that one-game playoff, and then they have their shot with the Royals and Blue Jays. and we'll go from there. But, yeah, the Mets, they have to go away as quickly as
0: possible. Yeah, I mean, I've always said this about teams in the postseason. If you got the rotation and a dominant rotation, anything can happen when you get in. And and certainly, you know, the Mets, they have that rotation if Javi pitches. The question is, you know, how how much is Matt Javi going to pitch? And if he does pitch... Are they going to yank them after the fourth and fifth inning, much like they did last weekend, which is just a pathetic story if you're a baseball fan, especially if you're reading some of the stats uh, and some of the things that that Yogi Berra did in his day when he was playing. Uh, Neil, before I let you go, real quick, just a pick for tonight. Giants, Redskins. And, and take your Giants jersey off for a minute. Take your Eli jersey off. <laughs> What's gonna, just a pick. Giants, Redskins tonight.
1: I think the Giants, and I think they cover. They've done well against the Redskins in uh, recent years. Like I said, I mean, the 16 of their only wins the last three and a half years are against the uh, or two and a half years are against the Redskins. They always play them well. They play them well at home. Um, it's a short week. The Giants are desperate right now. They have to get this win, and they just they're just a better team. I mean, granted, they're 0 2. I heard you. You know, you say the other day you talked about the you only know, two teams in the league, and the Giants are, are really better than what their record says they are, which. Phil Parcells, you know, his famous thing. He wouldn't go along with that. But you've got Eli, you've got Odell Beckham. You know, that's much better than anything the Redskins are throwing out with Kirk Cousins tonight. Uh, and, and the thing is, I, I feel like, you know, Shane Marine, he had a huge game the other day, and, and I obviously remember him from his past days and you do as well. And uh, he's, a, he's a big part of this offense now, because Rashad Jennings just, yeah, he's all right, but Marine's really been the go-to guy, and it sucks that Cruz is out again, and hopefully he'll be back in week because uh you know, Beckham and Cruz have only played one full game together in two years because Beckham was hurt with the hamstring injury. He came back. They played their one game and the next game Cruz uh, tore up his knee and he hasn't played since. So uh, it'll be nice for once to see what could be the best receiving duel on the field at the same time in week four. But they got to get there first. The Giants win tonight, I think I think relatively easy as well. I think this could be a blowout fashion like we saw last year on Thursday football between the same two
0: teams. All right, he is Neil Keefe, host of Keefe to the City podcast. You can find all his podcasts and columns at KeefeToTheCity.com. Follow him on Twitter, at Neil Keefe. Uh, Neil, great job. Thanks a lot, as always. We'll talk to you soon, all right?
1: Thanks,
0: Dan. All right, great stuff right there from Neil Keefe. Uh, Covers the Giants, covers the Yankees. We talked a couple other New uh, York-related storylines. But um, I told you to stick around afterwards because I'm going to give my pick for this game tonight. Giants, Redskins. Do I have a pick? Um I do have a pick, actually, for you. I, I feel comfortable. I told you I think the Giants are gonna win this game tonight. Um I think that they're gonna win by at least seven. I think at home, having no wins, I think there's a little you get a little extra motivation when when you're winless, especially you look the pressure can get to you, but I, I don't think Eli Manning I don't I just I don't think he feels that pressure, to be honest. I really don't. And, um, you know, the football fan of me tonight is going to pick the Giants. And I'm going to watch this game. And I'm not just picking the Giants to win. I'm going to tell you to take the three and a half. They're a three and a half point favorite. Uh, they're at MetLife, at New Meadowlands. The Redskins are going to go in. I think it's going to be a tough game. But I think it's one of those ones where it's, it, look, it's a one touchdown game. Would you consider a one touchdown game between two divisional teams a, 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 t- a tough game? I would. I would consider it a tough game. And you know what? I I, I envision this being, you know, a Giants having a 10-point, jumping out to a 10-point lead, Redskins cutting it to 7, Giants getting a field goal, this being, you know, between 10 and 3 all night long. And maybe the Redskins getting a a field goal late, you know, cutting the Giant lead to 7. Having an opportunity maybe for an onside kick and not getting it, Giants win by seven. That's how I think this is gonna play out. But I do think it'll be a tough game. Not saying it'll be a pretty game. So I'm a little but I don't know that it's gonna be a blowout, right? I don't I don't think so. I think Giants win by a touchdown and that will cover for you. So make sure you take the Giants tonight, minus three and a half. But hey, it's not picks picks because that's tomorrow. Every Friday, I give you five games with the spread in the National Football League for the Sunday games and maybe the Monday game if that's if I feel comfortable with the Monday night game add it to my pick. So that is tomorrow. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com You can also subscribe on iTunes, really anywhere that podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at DannyPicard. Like me on Facebook. Uh, anything that goes on tonight in the baseball postseason race, I'll break down tomorrow, but I will also break down Giants, Redskins, and again, Picks, picks, tomorrow. Talk to you then.